You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. So Aston Villa are back and that familiar feeling of dread, disappointment and frustration is also back. Aston Villa 1, Chelsea 2. James, what do you think, mate? <laughs> what do I think? Um, oh my <laughs> God. Like there's, there's a lot of ways you can look at the match and I think most of them are quite negative. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and try and be Fair. optimistic at all. It was uh, quite a tough watch. Um, Villa set out for a point basically. And I think they did enough to get it, but Chelsea turned them over so quickly in those two minutes. And that's all that mattered. Those kind of two fateful minutes where uh, Pulisic pulls away at the back post and Drew turns his man and gets a goal. And, you know, uh, I think based off the first half, Chelsea should have won. But look, when the goals come down to it, I feel like Villa did enough to get a draw, but it didn't work out, man. And uh, we sat back and uh, stood off. I don't think we did enough to deserve anything out of the game. But I think when you go surprisingly 1-0 ahead, to come away with zero points is disappointing because you should be able to do enough to think, well, okay, if we concede, at least don't concede more than one and we'll just take a point here. But to concede two in two minutes and just totally capitulate and during times in the first half in particular it kind of pop up on Sky that we've had three percent possession and, and whatever else it's just not good enough and and that's not a that isn't news to anybody we're, we're where we are for a reason <laughs> but it's just it's frustrating if that happens again against Wolves Liverpool and United as good as down like you need to fr- find three other wins out of anywhere and that's got to be Palace Everton and Newcastle, and then you got to hope. you got to absolutely hope those must-win games are enough to keep you up. And I think possibly, yes. Uh, but it depends what other sides can do. I mean, I don't want to make this into a long-winded point, but if you look at West Ham yesterday against uh, Wolves and you look at Bournemouth against Crystal Palace and then look at us against Chelsea, out of those three performances, and I wouldn't say it's a long shot at all, I wouldn't say by far, but Villa were probably the best out of those three. It's splitting hairs to say that, but that is some kind of a positive in a way. Jack's frustrating because he's clearly our best player. He's clearly one of the best players in, in the league. But when he's so far deep in his own box, in his own area, or basically playing on uh, Esri Conser's toes at right back, what what is he meant to do at that point? I, don't, I, I find it frustrating why, yes, I understand why playing left wing is is preferable to having him centrally because he's, he's a better option than having Trezeguet and El Ghazi both on the pitch at the same time. But when he's so deep and he's one of our most influential players, it's kind of, you kind of look at it and think, well, what are we expecting to happen? If we can all see that Jack Grealish isn't involved, why are they not saying, well, let's stick him central, let's let's put him right on Keenan Davis's toes, let him play off him right, right up next to him. Him floating around on the right wing, I just don't understand it. But you look at a player like Paul Pogba and the difference between Paul Pogba and Jack Grealish is that one is a World Cup winner, a World Cup class player who's been at the top of the, you know, the top of the footballing world for pretty much the entirety of his career. Guy comes off the bench and he's just spraying passes everywhere like he's never missed a beat. Um, and that is that is the big difference between where Grealish is and where he wants to be. It's like these players, they're, they're at that level for a reason and that's not knocking Grealish at all. That's saying that's what you've got to do is not just... When get up to speed, then stay at speed. You've got to be hitting the ground running, man. Like you, you have to be hitting the ground running. And I heard Sky Sports commentator saying, like, maybe he's got one eye on the, like the move that's probably coming. Like, I don't. That's not him. Like, that's that's nowhere near. Nah, like, I don't buy that. That's that isn't Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish is a Villa fan. Like, he's not going to take this lightly. And yeah, he might not be as influential in these games. I think that's for a different reason than thinking I'm off in the summer. It's just. It's just hurt. like Villa as a team, like the players are expected to kick on and do well, 
Algarzi, Grealish, McGinn. Haven't really done so, and there's various reasons. The players that I expected to kind of falter, maybe your Douglas, Louise, Nakamba came in today and looked a bit energetic, and I was thinking, why, why wasn't he starting? Like, um, Maybe Harahan dropped off a little bit today, but Douglas, Louise has really impressed me. So it's just been a case of complete flipping the world upside down. You probably will, or, or hope, will look back on Sheffield United and Chelsea and not think, oh, if we'd have just been yeah. a bit better then, we'd have stayed up. Because I don't think you can define the season on these two games. I think before the lockdown in particular, you'd have looked ahead to those two fixtures and said, we're probably going to get nothing there. I don't think you'd, you'd look at that and say, well, that's where that's where Villa were relegated because there's still 24 points on offer. We probably need 10 to 12, maybe a little bit more, depending on the rest of the, the clubs down there. But I think the commentators on Sky said that 36, 37 is probably roughly what you need. So I think Villa are 10 points from that. So there's 24 to play for. We need to get 10. If we can't get 10 out of 24, regardless of who we're playing, Wolves, Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, all these big clubs, if we can't get 10 out of 24... We deserve to be relegated. We've seen Villa last year in the Championship when it was win or bust and we did it, we managed to get there. We've got to tap into that same mindset again. I know it's a very different game now and it's a, it's another level of opposition and we've been without football for, for so long as well. You can't have this period of kind of playing yourself into form or, or getting back up to speed because there's a handful of games where you look at on paper and go, well, Villa have got those games yet. That's where the season will be defined. If you lose to West Ham on the last game of the season, that's probably where you're going to see Villa in trouble. It's less about that we've lost to Chelsea today and it was, you know, our losing to Chelsea, that, that's poor. But it's the way you lose. You don't watch that game and think, oh, you know what? There's some hope there. I feel I feel semi-confident that Villa will be okay. You watch that and think, Villa have got no chance here. I wouldn't have gone, gone as far as to say, listen, anything like Steve Bruce football because like let's be honest we've, we've been there done that and we need if you want a reminder I'm sure you can find 90 minutes of watching us lose 4-1 to Sheffield United Villa clearly wanted the point and they wanted goals to come from set pieces everything worked fine in that regard like everything was superb because you get three big chances from a set piece or a deep cross right you get Douglas Louise hitting hitting his mark perfectly and getting Courtney Hawes in Hawes gets it twice. He has two big chances and he scores one of them. So you remove one of those big chances because Villa had three big chances. Then you get the other one where Harahan crosses it in and Hawes is like in the middle of nowhere. He's lost his marker. He gets a header. He hits the header in the front in the face of goal and misses. And I'm thinking the game plan is just to hit the defender. It was just that. And it look, it worked to perfection, right? Apart from it, it didn't go in. That's the gutter. Then you have McGinn as well missing the header. And then you have Hotter. Like, it's just that the chances were there. The game plan made sort of made those chances happen, and they weren't taken. So it's a bit. It's both for me, man. It really is both. The thing is, though, if that is the game plan working, and Villa are happy for a point, but they go one 0 up against Chelsea at home, how have we lost that game two one? Why can't we see that out? I think that's a story. Like when I say the game plan worked, I'm not backing at all. I hated it. I didn't like it. It wasn't fun to watch. I didn't. I, no, it wasn't fun. <laughs> it wasn't at all a positive thing for that game plan to work because it rewarded it tried to reward Villa for kind of just letting Chelsea have their way. Chelsea had a lot of shots, and I think these shots lie because all of these shots are outside, for the most part, outside the box. They scored their best chance, which was Pulisic arriving at the back post. That Fair play. The thing that annoys me is a Giroud one because that's the difference between these teams and Villa is they have a striker of quality, of genuine quality, and I like Samara, I like Davies. Are they getting into... 19 other teams in this league it's questionable and I really like him I really like him but Giroud shows the quality man and there's nothing you can do if he's going to get the ball on the edge of the box pivot and take the first time shot with such quality that's the problem for me is Chelsea don't need to make these quality chances I don't need to put 
the ball on the plate for others because they've got players who will do that. They've got Pulisic who can arrive at the back post and has instinct to pull it away. They've got Giroud who can score from whenever he wants. Villa don't have that. They have to make these hard, they have to fight hard for these chances and they did. They made a number of good chances. They didn't take them. That's the point. That's the problem. We've got this this plan A of a four three three with Jack playing from the left, Keenan Davis awesome at a starts up front. Then you've got a three in midfield of Louise, McGinn and Horahan or Nakamba or Drinkwater. And that's not working. <laughs> is 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 the is the uh the the easy analysis. So why do we, why do we keep playing the same formation and the same pretty much personnel every single game? when it's not working, why are we not looking at that now and, and looking at it in the break that we've had and thinking two up front might suit better, might suit Villa better or having Jack play as a number 10 behind a striker will, will work better than trying to flush him out wide? There's a few things that kind of stand in Smith's way of changing that plan. And that might be that like he will read the game, like I'm reading now, I'm reading the, the shot map and you're looking at the quality of chances and he'll say it worked and he might be right in saying that it worked in that specific match, it, it, the the result we have is different to the result that it should be. Like it doesn't balance up. But there is no way we can say we should. We can say we should have drawn. We can say we had the better quality of chances. What we can't say is that we've got the the victory or a point because we don't. We got nothing. We got nothing from that. Um, so that might actually he might look at that and say the things I saw that worked were the, the chances in the face of goal that we didn't take. And we just got to learn how to execute those chances. That might keep him to this plan. And I think that would be wrong. I think what Villa need to do now is they need to look at playing two strikers because you've got Keenan Davis, who's just chugging around, doing all a lot of hard work. And there's no one there to, for him to, to, to kind of link up with. Grealish is doing whatever he wants to do because he, that's where he's best. You've got Agars, he, he kind of is, is a bit worried about making a mistake. He doesn't want to step into or step out to. He doesn't want to make a move. He doesn't want to commit because he's scared of the criticism that might follow. He's scared of being dropped. Like There's so much weighing on these players' mind. But Davis needs a foil, whether that's Algarzi or Samata or just someone or Louis Barry or Borja Bassan, just someone up front just to pass to that's in an advanced position and then you can wait for Harahan McGinn or whomever to arrive late he's just today was a hiding to nothing man like they were knackered McGinn Davis were knackered they were done they didn't want a part of it because they were knackered they they were completely out of shape Um, they'd given a lot against Sheffield United and they've come away a few days later and had to do it all again against Chelsea and they've paid a price for that now and now you're looking at Newcastle man and you're looking at if you want players to kind of make a key difference against Newcastle, you're looking for McGinn, uh, Davies and Grealish who have played a lot of football in a short space of time with a massive break. I think we're going to pay for that if we don't make some kind of change to help, especially Davies out. And uh, I would know, if I was Dean Smith, I'd consider a change. I'd consider a minor change, albeit maybe not changing the entire play style, but the way we line up because Davies needs help, man. See, I don't, I don't think we'll change the formation. I think if if we see changes against Newcastle, which I think we will, I think it'll be Samata for Davis and probably Trezeguet for El Ghazi because that seems to be the only change that we make. You know what? I was thinking, bring put Vasilev on. Like he's not going to beat the world. It's energy there. Like you've asked Trezeguet to come on late in both games. You've asked him to sprint full pelt at the match, and he's done it. He's done fair enough at it, but it's not changed anything. And you're asking him to do it again and again and again, and he's just going to get just as tired as everyone else. Then you're going to rotate him in to start. Guys, they're all going to be knackered. This is the problem we have now. And the problem is we're making the same changes over and over again. Like like you said, like it's not like you bring someone on and the role changes, 
apart from maybe bringing Hotter on and Grealish kind of walks back into the middle and kind of does that free roll. But, you know, you, you can't change a striker for a striker and expect anything different because if one striker has struggled with the kind of challenge they face in breaking forward alone, the other's going to, like, that's the role. They're, they're in the same role. So, like, again, if I'm Dean Smith, I might look at that and be encouraged by certain things. I, as a fan, like, as a watcher, I, I don't have the inside, like, line on Dean Smith. I don't know what he's thinking or kind of what he's looking for, but certainly I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, hey, you had your chances, you didn't take them, and now you've got nothing to show for it. The game plan might have worked there, but is it you've given away a lot of your kind of aces in the hole? The weird thing is that I think you, you kind of play a dangerous game when you start saying things like the you know the boys put all the, the effort in and I'm proud of them and you know that I couldn't have asked any more for them in a game that you've lost because from a tactical kind of football coaching managerial point of view, yes, Dean Smith is a football manager and I'm not, and he he knows a lot more about tactics than I would. For him to say that a game plan has worked or he's happy with performances in a game that you've lost kind of grates on me a little bit. The technicalities of what you were aiming for or the things that you were trying or the set pieces that you were trying or whatever, they technically worked. But there's moments in that game we've barely touched the ball. Like, how can you watch that and say that that you're happy with that or that that was a performance that has been worthy of of, of repeating? I have to say now, like, after all, all the things I've said, I'm not here pitching for Dean Smith for it. I'm not totally on his side and I'm not trying to bring all the positives out of this just to keep him in a in a job or whatever um, but listening to hours and hours of him speaking in kind of podcasts about leadership and like going back to like press conferences at Warsaw and Brentford you know this guy really does understand when to lay the boot in and when not to lay the boot in I don't know what kind of tangible effect that may have on results but he kind of knows when to toe the line when his comments after the match I can tell you now almost for a fact that he doesn't really mean that he's proud. You know, he's probably not going to go into the dressing room and start firing rockets off, but, like, he's A, not the type of person to publicly call out players like other managers, but B, he's always willing to fall on his sword for players, but he'll just take the criticism. He'll just take it up front, and he'll say things. Is that, is that too easy of a cop-out for the players, though? Because obviously we don't know what goes, behind, goes on behind closed doors, but surely the players are deserving of that that criticism if they've been if they've performed poorly is it the players fault for not for not being good enough or the tactics that they're being asked to play are they not good enough i think like what i've always thought is that if your players aren't good enough you shouldn't even be trying to do what we're doing like if the players aren't good enough to play a really high line and go up the throat of other teams like they were in a championship if they aren't good enough to do that you need to become more, more rudimentary because you know, in the Premier League, you've got so many teams that will play progressive. They've got teams that will play positionally. You've got teams that will love to go, you know, long with the ball and always be at your throat. It's kind of like Cardiff and Neil Warnock sometimes, or, or Burnley and Sean Dyche, um, without kind of going into those stereotypes. You know, sometimes to be rudimentary in a league full of people trying to revolutionise is in itself kind of revolutionary. Like, to know, you've just got to know your team and... Dean Smith's an expert here, right? He knows his team and he knows their limits, surely. I would say that maybe these players aren't quite at the level we need right now. We've coaching, yeah, we've a year and another year in the Premier League, maybe. Right now, are they good enough to do this master plan in the Premier League that immediately? 
the results say and the fact that we're playing for set pieces say no it is an immensely frustrating situation and all we can do is give him the benefit of doubt here as as badly as you know as, as weird as that sounds it's you know it's not necessarily backing him to do that it's to say that we don't have the information at hand to say what he's doing is right or wrong all we know is right now it might not be working uh, we've got to really see what happens in this Newcastle game because I think to go at it the exact same way again is just going to be another hiding to nothing and it's going to end in tears because I can imagine the situation, you know, 8pm uh, Wednesday, we're looking at, we're seriously talking about this is absolute relegation territory now, isn't it? I don't think you'll look back on losing to Chelsea and think, oh God, that's where it all went wrong. We've been poor for vast majority of the season and we've still got a chance to save ourselves with the eight games we've got left. But if you start losing to sides like Newcastle, West Ham, uh, Everton, Crystal Palace games that you'd look on paper and think, well, okay, let's, at the very least, there's four games there that we've highlighted. There's twelve points on offer. If you win all four of those and nothing else, you you probably just about be safe. You put everything into getting something there. You kind of think, well, do that now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like if we'd have got a bonus three points out of one of these games, we're already knocking those points down before we even get to those those desperate. Uh, desperate positions of playing West Ham on the last day and needing to win to stay up like I don't want it to go that far Bournemouth West Ham in this round dropped it they didn't get the win neither did Villa so that's all right like you can take that this is where you kind of take that little positive you know like regardless of everything Dean Smith said and the chances we had and how crap the match was this is where you take that little bit of positive and the positive is you didn't kind of lose a beat because you lost against Chelsea and you probably expected would lose against Chelsea. Um, that doesn't make it acceptable, though. No, it doesn't. Like it doesn't mean you can sweep it under the carpet. What it means is that you didn't slip up. Like you didn't lose your ground. You've got the chance against Newcastle. Whereas if West Ham had beat um, Wolves or Bournemouth had drew against Palace, you'd be looking at that and thinking we're the only team that didn't pick up a single point out of all of them. The, the icing on the cake. So you, you got a little. You got a little bit of positivity here. Is if they carry on. And Villa finds something against Newcastle. If they find a win, for example, you've dropped Bournemouth, West Ham, and Watford back down. You've leapfrogged them. Like that's your your current situation is over. Like for another week. Like you're not talking about relegation. You're talking about how the how we've won, how we've got the better of these teams, and um, you know we, we've jumped up above them. They have to lose for that to happen. So there's still a lot. Um, lot to talk about, but I think fully deep down to the bottom of my heart, this is in Villa, completely in Villa's hands, like completely. And would it still be if we lose to Newcastle? Um, that's it's tough. What annoys me to think of is that there might be a thought that they're thinking just lose to Chelsea, just lose to Newcastle, just lose to Wolves. When we're in a problem, we'll pick up then. We're in a problem now, <laughs> we've got eight guys left. We're in the problem, guys. I don't know if you realize where we are. There's a lot of false kind of belief that comes from last season's run where you had so many like, at that tier, you had the best team in the league, and you, you, you capitalized that and you went on a 10 game winning run. Now you're looking. This isn't nowhere near the best team assembled in the Premier League. It's not even the 20th best teams assembled in the Premier League. It's probably not even close to like the 40th. I think there's technique there and they can't rely on kind of the trap into last season where it gets to a point. Dane Smith has to pull it out and go, right, you, you are doing very bad. You're doing terrible. You're not doing good enough like he did against Stoke. And then they turn it around because you need to win now and not look ahead to the next game until it comes. You need to win in the present. You do it before your back's against the wall because it kind of is now. Yeah, and it it could get worse. Yeah, and what what I think it goes for that point is it could get worse. Villa are kind of a few points from safety. A win gets them right out of the picture. So 
you know, right now in the present right now, it's not an immediate worry, but you go two games down the line and you're looking at it. And if you're in the same position and others have kicked on, there's serious problems. Well, that was a good half an hour of depressing chat about Aston Villa. I'm laughing, but it isn't. It's not funny, is it? It's a dire situation, and we need to kind of pick up fast. But if you've enjoyed listening to our rambly thoughts about Villa's latest defeat, tune in again on Wednesday night. We'll probably be doing the same again. Let us know what you thought about the game in the YouTube comments below, or you can tweet us at Claret Blue Pod, uh, our new Twitter account for all things video and written Villa-based. Uh, I'm definitely rambling now it's far too late for this so thank you very much for tuning in and we'll be back with you again on Thursday I think so yeah thank you very much up the villa we'll see you soon worst outro ever (laughs) Jesus thank you for listening to Claret and Blue an Aston Villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode until then up the villa up the villa